0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. We are broadcasting live from the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island from the 2019 Mackinac Policy Conference. Throughout the rest of the week, you're going to hear from some of the most important names in Michigan politics and business on issues that matter the most to our region, to our state, and to our nation. And we've come armed with some of the things that you have told us you want to hear our elected officials address. Uh, As always, uh, it's really really great to be up here on Mackinac Island uh, to be able to broadcast for you guys what happens up here, the kinds of things that actually get done, not just the the talking or the partying, but the actual policy making. Uh, Also, it's really great to be able to uh, interact with you during this week, but we have to do it a little differently. We can't take phone calls. That was such an important part of our show while we're here on Mackinac Island, but you can still communicate with us on Facebook and if you hashtag us on Twitter, of course. We will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's get started this week with an old friend of the show, U.S. Senator Gary Peters, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township. Gary, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Stephen, always a pleasure to be with you.
0: Happy Mackinac to you. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be here. It looks like the <laughs> sun might
1: come out too. It's I was gonna say, great. we
0: have had much better weather early here on Mackinac <laughs> than I am used to house having. I usually am uh, running around looking for a raincoat exactly. or a sweater or something that I forgot to pack. This exactly. year it is sunny and it is kind of warm. So kind of. So maybe that will uh, facilitate more uh, bipartisan uh, uh, solution making.
1: Well, now. let's hope that's uh, <laughs> that should be our goal. All
0: <laughs> right. All right, let's start with the relationship between Congress and the White House, and particularly the relationship between congressional Democrats and the White House. And just the general relationship between Democrats and this president. Uh, I'm really curious what your reaction was to the things that the president said overseas this week about Joe Biden, who is a, a Democratic candidate for for the presidency. That seems to have kicked up again this this question of the way the president talks about uh, his political opponents and the questions about uh, loyalty and and where and when you say things that are critical about uh, about people who who sit sort across of the aisle from you
1: yeah i, I mean uh, certainly the the words he used the tone uh, it, to me uh, you know, i would say that's simply not presidential at least as uh, <laughs> as to how i would like to see the president of the united states uh, commander in chief of our forces uh, someone who's truly a world leader. The rest of the world looks uh, to uh, Mm -hmm. for not only policy leadership, but I think uh, moral uh, leadership as well. And uh, that kind of language uh, takes us in the opposite direction without uh, without question.
0: And uh, is this, it's always difficult in Congress to deal with things that, uh, you know, people disagree with. You have often had a president of one party, maybe a congressional leadership of another party. Right now, Republicans control everything, but it does seem like things are more bitter than they have been in the recent past that that, that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to me well
1: it's uh, it is uh, driven a lot by the, the personality of the president there's no question uh, about that and uh, I think you know the thing that I find most difficult in, in dealing with him is that uh, you uh, if, if even if you strike a deal with him, he can change it within twenty four hours it's like whoever has talked to him last uh, tends to carry the day. Uh, I remember being intimately involved as we were trying to sort through an, an immigration uh, issue related to DACA kids. Uh, I was part of a bipartisan working group, 22 senators, 11 Democrats, 11 Republicans. Uh, we had a deal, it sounded like the president was supportive, and then just before we came to a vote, he changed his mind 180 degrees, said I won't support it, and the deal collapsed. It's hard to negotiate with someone who, once they make a deal, they don't stick with it, and it's hard to, to, to work. and. You know, but uh, saying that, uh, uh, you know, I try to work on the other side of the aisle as much as I can. I introduce legislation with uh, Republican co-sponsors. I think the the way you build lasting lasting solutions is you come together, find common ground, and get bipartisan support.
0: So, so take us inside the Democratic Caucus in the Senate uh, and the role that that democrats hope to play i guess in legislating and holding this this president uh, responsible what are the things that uh, you feel like you can get your hands on the levers that you can get your hands on uh, to a get your message out but b also have the effect that you want on curbing this administration's uh, excesses
1: well you know in the senate obviously that's difficult we're in the we're in the minority uh, in the, in the senate and what we have actually seen Uh, which is very frustrating to me and my colleagues uh, over the last couple months, is that every minute of floor time on the Senate has been all about nominations, court nominations, uh, and nominations uh, for the administration. We haven't done any legislating. Uh, Given all of the issues that we face as a a country, the problems that the American people are expecting us uh, to deal with and seek out solutions for, uh, that, those aren't coming to the floor uh, of the Senate. You're seeing a lot of action over on the House side, and I'm sure you're going to have some of my House colleagues uh, on your program. Uh, they've been passing bills uh, dealing with health care issues, to infrastructure, to PFAS, to Great Lakes, I mean, uh, the long list of things. Uh, but they come to the Senate, and Mitch McConnell doesn't even uh, put them on the they floor. They won't
0: even get uh, discussed.
1: They aren't getting discussed. The uh, committee chairs uh, aren't uh, bringing them up. Uh, you know, uh, we certainly uh, keep pushing, uh, and I do, uh, with uh, the work that I do on my committees, but uh, they're, not, uh, they're not coming up.
0: Yeah, uh, I should correct myself. I said that Republicans control everything in Washington, and of course, that's not true, because Democrats did win the House last, uh, last November. Um, I, I want to ask you about the, the discussion about impeachment and, and whether uh, the Speaker of the House should start putting together articles of impeachment and pursue that course, knowing full well that, as you point out, Republicans control the Senate and there's almost no chance uh, that they would convict this president uh, if, if he were impeached in the House. But is it still worth doing? I mean, you, you, you've had a number of people come out and say, this is a matter of principle. And it's a matter of sending a message about the kind of behavior that we expect from the person who is the chief executive. And if we just let it go, uh, that sort of invites more of it. Uh, same, same argument that Republicans, in fact, made back when uh, they were uh, impeaching Bill Clinton in the House. Where do you come down on that uh, question?
1: Well, well, certainly uh, the House uh, should uh, continue to do the investigations uh, that they have been doing. I mean, if you look at the Mueller report, it raised a, a lot of questions. Uh, that was certainly not a clear-cut document uh, and was misrepresented uh, by the administration and others, I think, in a significant way. Uh, and those are questions that uh, should be answered. And so the House is doing their job, which is uh, as oversight. Our founders were very clear in the separation of powers and the checks and balances. And Congress uh, needs to do its job and overseeing the executive and and uh, making sure that the law is being followed. That uh, that's their job. So I I believe they should continue uh, to do that. But having said that, uh, we also have to continue to lean in on the on a on an aspirational message of where this country needs to go, uh, where we would like to see that go, uh, how we want to do it, uh, and deal with the really tough issues that we face uh, as a country. So uh, you know, I, I don't like a complete focus on investigation when we've gotta be solving problems, and I, uh, certainly uh, that's how I uh, look at my job and yeah. do it every day.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I had a conversation with uh, a constitutionalist, I'll call, I'll call him recently, who talked about the difficulty that Democrats face uh, in, um, in sort of respecting the, the system the way it's being operated, right? there is this kind of presumption in american politics that each side will act in good faith on a certain number of things right that that uh, and, and there are no rules that require that it, it really is an article of faith that uh, that you won't just take advantage of of uh, the system to 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 make sure that the other side doesn't ever get anything it wants, but that there are there are give there's a give and take, and that that give and take is being strained in a way now that we haven't really seen it before. That we see a lot of uh, hypocrisy and double standards come into play in terms of decision making. I I, I do really wonder what Democrats make of. So let's say, for instance, uh, we, we, we recently heard Mitch McConnell say that if there is a, a Supreme Court vacancy next year in 2020, he would have no problem uh, pushing a, a, a nomination through from the White House. Even though four years ago, when Justice Scalia died, uh, he said, you know what, you can't do that in an election year. We've never done it in an election year. That kind of double standard seems to be cropping up a little more than it has in the past on the Republican side. And I always wonder, how do Democrats respond to that? Do you say the system is broken and we won't respect it either? Or do you say we've got to hold even tighter to those principles in order to preserve, you know, the republic and preserve this idea of the constitutionalism that has kept it together for as long as it has? I know that's a big question. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. I think it is uh, an incredibly important question, and probably everything uh, emanates uh, from the answer to that question as part of the, what we're dealing what with you do, uh, right sure. now. And there's no question, you know, you talked about there aren't, there aren't rules, and that's true, there, there have been norms, though. We've had norms of behavior that we expect uh, in, in this country uh, that have uh, been... Uh, you know, more or less followed uh, since uh, its inception. There have been breakdowns of those norms certainly in the past. The Civil War is a prime example. The worst of that. example, the right? absolute worst example. But we're seeing a, a, now a president and others that are continuing to to break down those norms, which is very dangerous uh, for a democratic uh, republic. We're also seeing uh, the American public uh, start to kind of uh, coalesce around uh, their their particular ideas in a kind of tribal uh, nature, and not. Uh, uh, not uh, seeking out uh, other points of view um, to do it, and it's interesting. You know, you bring up uh, saving this republic. I, every year, uh, a senator is asked to, to uh, deliver George Washington's farewell address yes. uh, to the U.S. Senate. <laughs> uh, and last year, uh, I had the honor. You were of, the one who did it. I, right? <laughs> had, I had the honor of doing that. And here's a, you know, here's a, a guy who was uh, uh, could have been king. In fact, people asked him to stay on <laughs> to be king, and he said, "I just fought the king." Uh, you know, to do it. I
0: wasn't looking to replace him, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: wasn't going to do that. But what he talked about, which I thought was most striking, especially today, is that he said he was concerned uh, that this fragile democracy or democratic republic, and he highlights how fragile it is. As Americans, we can't think the institutions are just going to always protect us. Uh, it's, we have to protect ourselves, uh, and we have to maintain norms, and we have to fight for that. And he said that what he uh, was concerned about is that factions would develop, and the factions would become harder and harder and more insular. And then a a, a demagogue would come along and appeal to people's uh, fears and greed and we would see our democratic republic fail mm-hmm. and he was very concerned very prophetic yeah. uh, uh, as to <laughs> where we sounds we're. a little familiar it sounds very <laughs> familiar but ultimately you know his appeal was it's up to the American people I mean we it's the American people that have to hold folks to norms as uh, as an elected official I will do that I behave that way I hope uh, that's uh, my guiding star <laughs> yeah. uh, is that you've got to be true to your uh, principles you've got to be a vigorous advocate for what you believe in and Uh, But uh, we also have to maintain the norms and the institution and the checks and balances. Uh, You know, you talk about uh, the Supreme Court. When you think about, but prior to uh, Kavanaugh, Kennedy, who was the the, the Supreme Court justice who left, when he he got through the Senate, he got 90 votes. He did. 90 votes. That's bringing Democrats and Republicans together, saying we need a Supreme Court justice who's, you know, somewhere uh, in the center, center right, center left. If it's a Republican, it'll be center right. If it's a Democrat, center left. But in this hyper-partisan world that we're in, both presidential partisanship and congressional partisanship, the factions, as George Washington would call them, you need to have a kind of a, a centering force, and the Supreme Court was uh, the place where we see that. Now that's not happening. Yeah. They have become hyper-partisan as well, as we saw for the late, uh, hearings. Mm. We have to bring the country back. Uh, I'm going to be talking about that every opportunity I get. <laughs> I hope the 2020 election will be a central focus and the American people understand, like, you know, hey, we're really blessed to be in this wonderful country of ours, but don't take uh, the democratic republic that we have for granted and understand that every citizen has an incredible duty to defend that, not just at the ballot box, but by being actively involved in the process as well.
0: Uh, I know you you have to run, but quickly before you do, PFAS contamination, uh, you were able to uh, get some PFAS provisions into a a recent bill, uh, but talk about uh, how we make sure... For instance, like the Defense Department cleans up uh, Selfridge, which is uh, in Oscoda and and is a place that we're starting to see this. I mean, PFAS seems to be creeping up almost everywhere. Well, it is.
1: Yeah, it is because, you know, it's a chemical that's uh, in so many of our products. It's been used for so many years. So firefighting foam is where its air bases have used and as well as our civilian airports. Uh, but it's also uh, a stain resistance that you put on your your upholstery, uh, water resistance. In you our put houses,
0: on. there's all kinds of things that we use.
1: Absolutely. Here. Your clothing, uh, popcorn, uh, microwave popcorn bags have PFAS. I mean, uh, it's, it's everywhere, and it's a forever chemical. It never breaks down. I mean, geologists uh, or uh, health folks were, who testified, I had a hearing on this in Washington, and uh, they said when... Uh, geologists are looking at the rock strata of our era, millions of years from now, assuming there's still humans around in millions <laughs> of years, they'll actually find evidence of PFAS yeah, in that rock. It's still, be, it it's will still, still be there. there. Right. And when it's in our body, it's causing all sorts of issues. So we have to address it. Uh, as you mentioned, I worked on the National Defense Authorization through Armed Services uh, to uh, actually uh, phase out PFAS when it comes to firefighting foam. We shouldn't be
0: putting any more in the
1: environment. Mm-hmm. We gotta
0: clean up what we have, but
1: we should stop putting it stop in Stop doing
0: it too, sure. Okay. Senator Gary Peters, it is always great to catch up with you, but especially great to see you in person here on Mackinac Island.
1: Great to be with you as well, Stephen. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much. All right, up next, we're going to talk with two members of Michigan's congressional delegation. They sit on opposite sides of the aisle, but are trying to figure out ways to work together. Does that work in 2019? We'll talk with Debbie Dingell and Fred Up to next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. <laughs>